All right, guys, we're going to get started here. Hope you've had um, some fun discussions at your table. I know we did at ours. <laughs> um, so if we could just, um, we're going to do a word of prayer, and then I will introduce our speaker for the morning. Um, Heavenly Father, thank you for bringing us here this morning uh, safely. Thank you um, just for um, this church and the opportunities that we have to um, hear stories uh, from from those who go here, and I pray that you'd be with Nick this morning as he prepares to speak to us, um, give him the right words to say, and give us um, open ears and open hearts to hear about how you've been at work in his life. Father, again, we thank you for his willingness to share with us this morning. In your name, amen. And um, our speaker this morning is Nick Carter, and Nick is um, kind of on his second time here at Faith. He went here from 2005 to 2011, and then um, he left to go with the Village Life Church plant for six years. But um, now he and his wife, Kendra, have been back for about a year now. Um, he's taught some Sunday morning classes. You very well may have heard from him before. Um, and then Kendra is the director of the children's ministry, so you've probably seen her around. They have three kids, Kezia, who is eight, and Sadie and Silas, who are both six. Um, he is the co-founder and CEO of Market Wagon, which connects online shoppers with local farmers and artisans. And in his spare time, he enjoys um, doing outdoorsy things like camping and hunting. So, Nick. All right, so as you probably guessed from the opening question, uh, I'm a farm kid uh, through and through. Um, I grew up in a small town, well, no, I grew up in a cornfield uh, outside of a small town called Rusheville, um, which had, which we know you're not from around there if you call it Rusheville, even though it's spelled Rusheville. Um, we had a stop sign, and we had all of our basic necessities met. We had a grocery store and gas station and uh, for some reason, two mechanic shops and seven churches. Um, I'm serious. Um, when we wanted to go to the city, that meant we went into Kokomo. That was the nearest city. Um, so living in Indy was a, a massive change for me uh, at some point in my life. So I raised uh, Jersey cattle. I bred um, dairy cattle and raised hogs, showed animals in 4-H for 10 years. If you know my email address, it's still jersey.myinitials at gmail. And um, people have asked me if I'm from New Jersey. And I'm like, no, it's a breed of cattle. And then they look at me kind of funny. <laughs> okay. Um, and we did a lot of outdoorsy stuff. We did rural experiences. We were hiking, camping. One of my favorite things to do was we called it, we just called it wheeling. I don't know why. Uh, which is where we'd take four-wheel drive vehicles off-road. These were usually our daily drivers. Um, but they were also as big as we could lift four-wheel drive trucks, and we would find the biggest holes or creeks or snow drifts or whatever. Um, that's actually how I started my first business. I <laughs> was trying to repair a Jeep that had been broken down, and I ran out of money, so I had to start selling it for parts. And so I just, I, that's when I found out that there's a cult following for old Jeep CJ parts, and there was this new thing at the time called eBay. And, and it was brand new, and I would list parts on there, and they would be gobbled up for like, top price. So I tore this thing down to, it's like I sold door handles and hinges and down to its smallest parts and made way more than I ever could have um, uh, imagined. And then I went and bought another one and did the same thing. So, my, so I literally lived at a farm with broke down vehicles in the backyard. That's, that's what I was doing. I was raised in a Quaker church. I don't know if you know a lot about Quakerism or if you know people in Quaker churches. The Quaker churches. Uh, very widely from Quaker Church to Quaker Church. The one that I was in 
um, actually preached the gospel. I heard the gospel at that church. I wasn't baptized there. Uh, they don't do that. More on that a little later. Um, but I was taught and understood at a very young age that I'm a sinner, that God is holy, that Christ died a substitutionary death for me to have a relationship with God. I, I grasped the tenets of the gospel and believed that, and I was grateful for that teaching at a very early age. Um, from the farm standpoint, unfortunately, I was a farmer during the era of, uh, if anybody here is, is related to agriculture in any way, there was a get big or get out was the motto of Earl Butts. He was our director of ag in the 70s, and we did not get big enough. Um, so by the time I was 18, there wasn't enough farm income for me to stay. So um, I was raised in the house that my grandfather um, bought across the street from the house where my great-grandmother was raised and my great-great-grandfather lived and I had to leave. Um, so that was, it was a big experience in my life to then leave the farm. Um, that's ha- kind of in a roundabout way how I ended up in Indy uh, via two years in Muncie. And so let me tell that story. So um, to begin with, I, I went, I started off to try my hand at college. And I got to admit, I think my, my impression of what college was supposed to be was formed by like Van Wilder and, and Animal House. Um, and I went to college with that expectation and I rocked it, okay? <laughs> I, was, I mentioned I was raised in a Quaker church. Um, I believed the gospel at a young age, but I also had a very strong desire to fit in in high school. And um, uh, tobacco and whiskey were just a part of the culture, uh, at least a part of the culture of the people that I thought were cool and wanted to be accepted by. So at the time, I envisioned this, I, I rationalized this in my mind as a high schooler as just an occasional sin, um, and everybody grows up and grows out of these things anyways, right? And in the first semester of my freshman year at Ball State, um, I pretty much scared myself. Uh, I, I, I transformed what was an, an occasional sin that I'd had control over into what really amounted to become a lifestyle. I was a lot of fun to be with. I was the life of the party. I had a great time, but um, during that time, God's work in my life was to make me hate this persona, this heavy drinking, hard partying, fun loving persona that I was, this lifestyle that I was living because I was convicted for the first time in my life, convicted that this is not just something that you can toy with and you'll grow out of it, but this was what was consuming me and I was consumed with guilt and I hated it. But I didn't really have the willpower to fix myself. I tried. I actually, I, I kind of had some wake-up calls even in my freshman year of like how reckless I was being and uh, made a lot of, of really earnest commitments to the church and back to Christ. Um, in between my, my freshman and sophomore year of college, I chose to get baptized um, for a lot of reasons. One was I realized it was the right thing to do despite the fact that the Quaker teaching was that you don't do um, physical sacraments. They don't do communion or baptism um, but I wanted to get baptized. I got baptized in a river. And also just the public proclamation um, I felt like would be an important part, important step of me um, getting back on the right track, right, showing people that this is what I really meant. Um, my sophomore year at college was quite a bit different. Um, I, I was, I could honestly say I lived the life probably of, of like a devout Christian, at least what I thought it should look like at that time. I was in church every Sunday, um, occasionally hung over, but I was in church every Sunday. Um, I was really trying hard, and, and I kind of got into this mindset that I was doing as, as good as any person should, right? I, I still thought that, um, 
by comparison to my former self, I'm doing pretty good. And so I had this, this um, uh, I, I never fled from sin. Does that make sense? I had like a negotiated treaty with sin. Um, so coming back for that second year, um, and then I came back for my, my third year, I actually dropped out of Ball State, but I still lived in Muncie. So I lived with two non-believing roommates in an apartment in Muncie in the, you know, MTV's best party school of the year. I can't remember, like 1999 or something like that. Um, and uh, I had quit college. I was working full time. And God used an, an event to really um, shatter my delusions of who I was as a Christian man. So it was homecoming weekend, fall of 2003, and I got really drunk, and then decided to show some of my friends this redneck thing that we did called wheeling. So we all went off-roading in my four-wheel drive truck. And of course I wrecked it, totaled it, which shattered, which then brought to light um, the real severity of an issue that, that I was uh, battling with. And in that, in the wake of that, one of my Christian friends that I had gone to church with while I was in Muncie, um, so like there was two Nicks and she knew the Christian Nick, she, uh, she told me something that I had never really heard before, and she said that you will not be able to fix yourself. You need to pray to God to deliver you from this sin. And that sticks out in my memory because I've never, I had never been taught about God like that before. I'd never heard of, of, an, of um, God working in our lives like that before. I had, while well, I had understood the, the, the basic tenets of the gospel, my theology was pretty hazy, and I thought that Salvation was a free gift for sure, but that the next part of like becoming a good Christian, that's our part. And that that was my work that I needed to accomplish and I wasn't really doing that great at it. And so this struck me and I, I go back to my apartment and I prayed that way. Um, and within 30 days, within a month, I lost my job in Muncie. Um, I had to find a new job. The only job I, land I, job I landed a new job pretty quickly, it happened to be in Indianapolis. And so I relocate to Indy. Um, and something else that you don't know at, up to this point is that my brother is a pastor, and he has a church in Chicago. At the exact same time, around the same time, there had been a couple from his church that relocated to Indy for a job. They had found an evangelical church in Indy that they loved, and my brother connected me with them so that I could visit this church with them. Their name's Caleb and Melissa Ho, and we met up for the very first time in my life. I met them in the lobby of the old church sanctuary, uh, which was right about the time that Tom Macy was starting here. Um, and, I mean, just in this whirlwind of events that was kind of odd to experience and then amazing to look back on, I end up extricated from the party scene. I don't know anybody. I can only make new friends at this new place where now my perfect older brother has, like, people watching me and <laughs> reporting back on how I'm behaving. And I met some people here, um, like Steve Casbon and Clay Connor Sr., um, some older saints who then uh, just latched onto me for I don't even know why and, and invited me to a Friday morning Bible study where I, then I met another guy who decided he, would, he had nothing better to do, I guess, and so he just offered to start meeting with me every week to disciple me. And we went through a Bible study together, and I just started growing like a weed. Um, it, was, it was really an answer to prayer how God acted in response to that prayer in a big way and transformed my life and moved me to Indianapolis and started just changing the person that I was. Um, I, I started doing a lot of self-study too. I, I, would, I would go to any Bible study that I could find my, myself um, invited to or invite myself to. 
I started reading a lot of J.I. Packer, um, D.A. Carson, John Piper. I got a lot of uh, just content and material from um, like my brother, who's, who's a pastor, uh, Don Beachy, kind of started to um, guide me in, in how I could learn a lot. And then I figured out I could actually audit the entire, almost an entire MDiv coursework through this thing called biblicaltraining.org. It was all free. So I started doing that um, just through um, online stuff. And eventually I started to feel like God was leading me to become a teacher. So I started leading a Bible study in my own apartment. I had no idea what I was doing. I probably was teaching heresy almost every other week, but I was trying. Um, And it was just a a time of real growth in my life. And at the same time, as I moved here, um, very early on when I started coming here, I met this this wonderful woman named Kendra Thornton. we, she wouldn't call it a date. When, we, when I was very new here, we hung out one night. Um, I called that a date. She invited me to go to her little brother's basketball game, and I was like, sure. This is what her and her friends were doing. We went out, and her little brother was playing a high school basketball game, and I thought it was a little weird that the high school basketball game was at a church. I didn't figure out until I was there that they're homeschooled, which is really weird. I thought that was really bizarre. And I had shown up in my pickup truck with a redneck boy sticker in the back. I wore my best belt buckle, and um, she thought I was weird. So we pretty well ruled each other out early on. It wasn't until like two years later, actually, we had become really good friends. Um, We learned a lot about each other, and by the time I started to realize, oh, that weird homeschool chick's kind of of cool. So we got married here in 2007. About that same time, uh, we started a 20-somethings ministry. There was pretty much no real place in the church where people in their post-college, pre-family, mid-20s were going to connect, and so we just decided to start one. We put it out there. Don Beachy was going to lead, and he was going to be the teacher, and I was going to learn to teach under him. Um, So I was going to help co-lead that class. Uh, The first week, a dozen people showed up. The second week, the same dozen people showed up, which is a good sign. You know, it's like people are actually coming back. The third week, everybody showed up except for Don. Uh, It turns out he had to preach that week. Uh, Forgot to tell anybody. So I, <laughs> if you know Don, this all fits, I, um, I pulled out a lesson that I had done in my, my apartment Bible study and just like regurgitated it to this group of people. And long story short, Don never came back. Now, he would tell you that this was his intentional plan to groom me as a teacher. And I think that that's like 70% true. Um, I became a teacher at Faith by default. I was 24 or 25 and just started leading that ministry. And God really um, worked a lot in that ministry. By the time we switched over to connection classes, there was maybe 40 to 50 people in the 20-somethings. It it was called an ABF at the time. We formed some just lifelong friendships in that, the Daltons, um, the Molers. um, Just it it was an amazing time, and we had a blast. And, um, yeah, so... Um, through that same time, I was, I was growing professionally, so I, uh, I mentioned that I had quit college. I, I eventually finished a, a degree in marketing online, and I found myself uh, about the time, well, when we were engaged, we weren't quite married yet, I joined a marketing consulting company uh, as a consultant, uh, 22, or 20, I don't know, 23, 24, something like that, but I didn't know what I was doing, but I was telling other people what they should do. And it was a work from home. It was a virtual company, which was somewhat new at the time. I worked entirely from home. And I had a friend who wanted me to do a little bit of work on the side. It was like, it was nothing. 
it was a logo and a website, and I was like, yeah, I'll help you, freelance, moonlight work, whatever. And I just felt like I should tell the owner of the company, like, hey, I'm doing this thing on the side. I didn't think he would care at all, and he really did. He was kind of offended that I took on a side gig just for a few hundred dollars. I mean, it was not a, a big consulting contract or anything. And in that conversation, I had no plans of turning this into, like, a business. Um, and he said, well, just tell me before you take on any other clients. And I was like, all right, no, no big deal. I agreed to that. Um, Six months later, things were really not going well at this job. And I, I really, in April, when I had made that commitment to him verbally, I, I didn't have any intentions of ever doing this. And by that fall, there was another company that came to me with what was going to be a pretty sizable um, engagement for me to basically start freelancing full time on my own. And I had drafted up a proposal, and I just, it, it kept gnawing at me that um, I had made a commitment to my boss that I would not do this without telling him first. So before I had the contract signed or even had pitched the proposal to this other company, I decided the right thing for me to do was I told my boss I was going to do it, and then he fired me. And then I sent the proposal, and then they signed it, and everything worked out. Um, through small business ownership, especially being a small business owner um, through the 2008 recession and everything, I have all kinds of, of God sightings. I mean, if you want an opportunity to see God at work in your life, just give up all secured income and you will <laughs> you have all kinds of opportunities to watch that. Um, it's been ups and downs. It's been bumps and bruises. And, um, you know, I mentioned the recession. One of the things that I did, I started a marketing consulting company. That grew. Eventually, I, I taught myself how to write uh, soft, computer software. I became a, a developer and developed a, several software applications. Many of them didn't work at all. Um, one of them, people started buying. And it was the recession actually hurt the consulting business, but actually helped the software business in a weird way. Um, because it was geared toward solopreneurs and people who were hanging out their own shingle, and all of a sudden there were a lot of those in 2008. Um, that product, and this, is, this ties in, so that product, you could pay a monthly subscription to use this product that I had developed. And that was where a lot of our income was starting to come from. This monthly recurring, people signed up to just, to just pay $10 a month, and our income was starting to slowly shift toward that. Um, and, or you could choose to pay for an annual subscription. If you wanted to pay for the whole year up front, we gave you a discount. All right, so we'd been married for two years. It's May of 2009, um, right? Yeah, 2009. And uh, we decided we wanted to have a kid. We wanted to start a family. I'm not going to go into all the details. It's not entirely my story to tell, but Kendra's given me the permission to just say, for us to get pregnant was going to be more expensive than for most people. Um, and God love her, she didn't marry a guy who had a nice job with benefits. So all this stuff is out of pocket, right? Um, I was, she had connected with Jane Fleck on a mission trip and um, connected over some of the same struggles. And so I ended up having lunch with Terry uh, to get to know him. We were having lunch at Panera in Merchant Square in Carmel, which I don't even think is there anymore. And I was just letting him know, you know where we're at financially and what we wanted to do, what our plans were. Now you gotta understand, I was a poor kid, and a poor farm kid, at least where in the culture I came from, we didn't pray to God for money. Like, if we had our bills paid and there was some food in the cupboard, we figured God had done his part. We were blessed, and, and we didn't push it, right? We didn't, we didn't pray for more money. And Kendra, had all of our, Kendra and I, we had all of our bills paid, and we had food in the cupboard. And this just never really occurred to me to pray to God in this way, but I'll never forget the way that Terry prayed for me and Kendra um, over lunch that day, he, he said, I don't remember verbatim, it would be cool if I did, but I mean, the gist was, God, Nick 
needs some more financial income, not so he can spend it on himself, but so that he can spend it to start a family and to raise children to know you. And that's a good thing. And so please you know, bless his business and, and show him how you can provide this. It was, I just remember it because it was kind of startling to me. Like, dude, you can just ask him that? Um, <laughs> that was May. Uh, by June, we had had this inexplicable influx of new subscribers to this software program that I had built. And for also unknown reasons, most of them had chosen the annual option. I don't know why. But by June, the exact amount that we needed, the exact amount. So we found out Kendra was pregnant on June 9th. Um, Kezia was born February 14th. Um, but every year, for years after that, there were these annual renewals that would happen in June. And the, the cash flow in my business would just spike in June for reasons that made no other sense, but I knew why. Um, that was just a really, really cool way to watch God's faithfulness. Um, business has given me a lot of opportunities to share the gospel in some unique ways. Um, oddly enough, a lot of ways having to re relate to marriage. <laughs> so uh, I'll share a couple of, of examples. One was an employee that I had. His name was Steve. And he was, uh, he was estranged from his son's mother. They had never really been married. Um, he was also pretty well estranged from his dad. Uh, he had lived kind of just, just not a healthy relationship with a lot of his family dynamics. The closest person to him was his grandmother, who at the time that he had just started working for me, his grandmother passed away, and that was really hard on him, and he and I were having a lot of conversations, and it was starting to become obvious that his father was probably going to pass away soon, and he, he wanted to try and, and in some way make good in these last few months of his dad's life. So he and I started having lots of conversations around gospel topics, even though Steve had no church background, things like forgiveness and reconciliation and fatherhood, and relating into then how Steve was a father to his son, who he's estranged from his, you know, his, his son's mother, and how that was impacted by Steve's relationship with his own father. And in the end, he was able to have a pretty um, meaningful last few weeks of, of conversations with his father that I think were uh, really important to him. Um, and then just within several months after that, he, he started to reconcile with his son's mother and, and realized he wanted to try and put this family together and really work at it and get married. And so he and I, he's talking to me then again about all that. And we were having breakfast one time. And mind you, we've continued, we'd had lots of conversations. And every chance I would get, I would try to bring in some kind of like something about forgiveness and grace and try to, you know, and feebly relate this to the gospel in some way. I just saw it as an opportunity. So we're having breakfast at La Peep and uh, one Saturday morning, and he's asking me, of all things, he's actually, he's trying to grill me about um, getting a prenup and what I think about it. Because having two recent deaths in his family left Steve in a very unique financial situation, and he's getting ready to marry somebody, and so he thought he needed to have a prenup. And he's like, so, you know, what are the terms of your prenup with Kendra? And I'm like, I don't have a prenup with Kendra. <laughs> And he's blown away, right? He's like, what? You've got these businesses and investments, and you've, you've built you know, companies, and you don't have any of that protected? And I was like, no. So I tried to explain this in a way of relating it back to the gospel. So I, was, you know, I, I said, you know, when, when Jesus decided to die on the cross for me, he didn't have a prenuptial agreement for how he could take all this back. You know, he just freely gave that as a gift. And Steve wanted to, to move straight back to the, the conversation about the law. And so he was like, 
yeah, 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 I know. I've, I've, I've come to believe that. But about the prenup, and I'm like, full stop. Time out. I lost. I don't even know. I may still have a prenup. I don't even know if I won that argument. But I was like, you realize you just professed faith in Christ. He's like, yeah. He'd become a Christian. So the last chapter of my life that I want to talk about just briefly is, because uh, I've got maybe five minutes left, if that. Um, the last part of my faith story is, as many of you know, and Anne-Marie mentioned, uh, six years were spent at Village Life. And I, uh, seven years ago or so, Don Beachy and um, several other, Chang Ho, uh, Brad Smith, us, um, Logan and Lindsay, I'm going to miss names, but several of us left and, and went to go plant a church. Um, and I can tell you that planting a church was one of the most rewarding experiences that I've had in, in my Christian walk. And I can tell you that closing down a church is one of the most painful experiences that I've had. Um, and I'll, I'll mention now that I'm not here to give a debrief on Village Life at all for anybody who has, you know, strange curiosities about everything that happened. There's probably a better time for that. But I want to share what God did in my story, how he worked in me at Village Life. And I, I'm going to be honest. I have written and rewritten this, this little last part of my faith story to share with you today so many times because I can't find a way to, to tell this story that makes sense. And I think that's just a part of the truth, that we like stories like a wrecked truck, but then it ends up, you know, all good, and we can see how it all worked, and we can see why God was doing those things, and we can see exactly what God was doing and how it all ended up, and I don't have a storybook button-up ending for, for all the pain that we went through a village life. I can't necessarily justify it or explain it. It doesn't make me angry at God or resent him at all. Um, I can tell you what, I can tell you some of the things that I learned at village life. I can tell you I learned to be a follower that I wasn't yet a leader, even though I went there thinking I was. I was 28, and I was like, yeah, they want me at this church plant. You know, I'm, gonna, I'm really going to add something to this team. Uh, I was a, that was a crappy attitude to have, and, and God really worked on humbling me quite a bit in the first several years of Village Life. I had to learn to submit to leadership before I could ever be used by God as a leader in a church, um, and I went through a lot of that growth through um, painful processes. Um, it wasn't easy. Um, but eventually I, I did, I got to become uh, an elder there. I learned how to lead. I learned how to appreciate how difficult leadership is in any church and how um, everybody who is a leader at a church is a flawed individual and deserves grace just as much as everybody else. Um, God taught me to love the church at Village Life. I, I loved to teach when I went to Village Life. I was loving that. I was loving teaching classes at Faith. I was loving teaching the 20-somethings. But I loved to teach because I loved ideas. And at Village Life is when I finally learned that, you know, it's people that we're teaching. And the gospel's coming to light in people's lives and seeing them transformed is the, is the real ministry. And I learned to love God's people. Um, Obviously, I think one of the more obvious outcomes of that was Kendra got the opportunity to develop a, a skill and an obvious gifting and a passion that God has given her, uh, which then equipped her to come here and minister in the ways that she's doing here at, at Faith, which has just been an awesome way to see God work through that. Um, but it, it was really, really difficult. I mean, we said seven years ago, we said goodbye to some of our, our closest friends, and we left and went to a different church. And we, we knew at the time that would mean we'd have to make new friends. You know, it's... Um, it's not like you sit down and you cross off people off your friends list or anything, but it's just you have a new place where you're investing time, and we did. We spent six years with couples that eventually became, our kids did everything together. I mean, literally, they went to school together, they went to church together, we went on vacation together, and then magically in May of 2017, it just, it's gone. It doesn't happen anymore. That's really hard, and I haven't yet 
been able to, to tell this story in a way that's like, but hey, this is why God did all of that. Um, but I, I can honestly tell you, it doesn't, it doesn't bother me because God's not, trying, God's not at work in this world to make my story awesome and have a great ending. He's not at work in our lives so that we have, you know, some epic story to our lives. He's at work in our lives because his story is epic. And he's at work in his people. And he gets to use us in that however he wants to. Um, we serve a God who leaves the 99, right, for the one. And if anybody's curious, that is the official headcount of new adult converts at Village Life in six years. We baptized one person. Um, and I, I say that kind of in jest, but the honest truth is, if you, if you wanted to measure it by the numbers, then it's, it was a lot of cost and a lot of pain that didn't really seem to yield a lot of fruit, except we worship a God who leaves the 99, right? So if we left, the 90, if we left Faith Church to go for that for one baptism, it was worth it. It was worth it. Um, and we're back here. Uh, we never thought we would be back here, but um, uh, we were, this is the end. So we, as, as, we, as we come back to faith, the way that that happened was we pretty much had decided we were not, we were going to go to any other church in Indy but Faith Church. Um, and we searched around, we found a lot of different churches, and we, knowing now what we know, that every church is flawed, every church leadership is imperfect, flawed men leading the church, um, and deserve grace, and um, we were actually here on the Sunday. We weren't members. We were just visiting. We were coming back to visit this church because we just needed a respite. This was a church that was easy and safe to just sneak in and sneak out because we knew some people and we could worship here, and that was about it. And um, I'm sorry if this is really still too open of a wound for some of you, but we were here the, the Sunday when the not current youth pastor, but the one that was offered up and then not offered up, and then um, we stuck around and watched the church business meeting and watched what happened after that. And for us, um, that's what showed us that these, this was a group of flawed, imperfect men who had the character to lead this church that we could submit to. That was, I mean, watching that take place showed, yeah, so Faith Church had some problems, right? <laughs> we just ended one, so we're worse. Um, but we really saw God's grace being used here, that, that, that the gospel still was alive and active in this church, and that this is what we wanted to be a part of. And so we ended up accepting the job here and coming back here, and that's my faith story to date anyways. It's pretty, sh you know, I'm only 35, so talk to me in another 35 years, and I'll have more fun stories to tell. <laughs> but that's my faith story. Uh, at that point, any questions? Andy? Is Rusheville Northern Clinton County? No, Rusheville is in um, Howard County, and it's in the so Howard County is a big box with a little tail on the end, and we're down in the tail. Yeah, so we're surrounded on three sides by other counties. Yeah. Where did you live on the farm on 26 or? <laughs> we were on 500 south. 26 is 400 south. We were on 500 south, so we were on one mile south of 26, uh, and about two miles west of Rusheville. We went to the Friends Church in Rusheville. There's uh, several Friends Churches around that part. Um, Quakers kind of settled the, that part of Howard County. Yeah, we were halfway between Forest and Rusheville. It's just the Forest was by that time still nothing, so we never went there. Yeah. Any other questions? Not about geography? Yeah. Are your mom and dad still on the farm? Mom and dad are still on the farm. 
still, um, still farming. Dad actually has an off-farm job. He's had an off-farm job since I was a kid. Um, but he works uh, at Caterpillar in Lafayette, and he still maintains the farm. He's got a couple hundred acres and 80-acre uh, home farm. And we are actually through. So my business today is uh, an online farmer's market, essentially. And he is one of the producers. He raises grass-fed beef and pork and chicken, and we sell it directly to consumers online. So it's been kind of a fun full circle. I had one older brother. Um, I have a, a younger sister. But she died at 10 days old. So, yeah. 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 Chris, you're an entrepreneur. When you got into it, uh, what were your motivations? Was it to be in ministry, kind of? Wow. <laughs> what was it? Did you see those opportunities? Sometimes we go into professions because we feel like we can engage our faith. Yeah. What was it? Something that you saw as an engagement? Yeah. It, Yes and no. It was a mixed bag. So um, I mentioned God has grown me by showing me, you know, I'm not, I'm not as, as uh, important as I think I am. I was a really arrogant 20-something-year-old. Um, I probably still am. But I'm just, I'm like slowly chipping off a lot of the rough edges. But I went into business for a couple of reasons. One was I thought, yeah, I could, I could create an independent income and then I could be used in ministry. I mean, I was, the passion that I felt and still do feel, I mean, when you have a gifting and a love to teach God's word, or any, any kind of ministry at all. For me, it was teaching, and at, at Village Life, I got to preach even. Um, any opportunity to be able to do that more and more I, I, is put there by God. You know, God is using that. He wanted me to be able to, to pursue after that, and he's used business to free up my time. To, I mean, I can, I've met men during the day. I've had all kinds of flexibility to go and mentor men at times when, when a nine-to-five job wouldn't have allowed me. And that is one of the reasons why I decided to go into business for myself. The other reason I decided to go into business for myself, to be very honest, is because I'm a terrible employee. And I, uh, at the time, and even maybe still, I'm, I'm learning to have authority over me. It's still a big weakness of mine. Um, and at the time, I really couldn't grow through that. I could not work for somebody else. To, one of the ways that God grew me in that was that I started a business that had a board of directors. I had investors. And when you have investors, well, you got bosses, and I, I had to really grow through that. And that's really, you know, helped mature me. And that was happening, the way God works, that business was happening during Village Life. And so I'm going through this stuff professionally and in the church where I'm having to deal with um, submission, which was just not natural to me at all. Uh, so, yeah, God's used, he's even, he's used my entrepreneurial experience to teach me what it means to submit to somebody. Um, and sometimes submission is, is to the office, right? I would always think if somebody could prove to me that they were worthy of my respect and submission, then I would submit to their leadership. And that's not how it works. God had anointed people to be leaders of Village Life Church, and I was not one of them. And that is the way that, that he designed that. And God had brought people to be investors in this company that, you know, I, I had to submit to that. Um, there's a lot of growth that came through that. Any other questions? Do you think a lot of these opportunities would have come about if you weren't in a leadership position in your company, if you'd just been another employee? And I'm sure they would have, probably. Um, I don't know. I, yeah, I mean, starting your own, everybody striking out starting their own business is not the only way that the church is going to learn to be uh, submissive Christians, you know, to learn how to submit to one another. It's how God worked in my life. Um, but. I don't know what would have happened otherwise. Johnny? Are there other uh, areas that you want to focus in for uh, building a 
I've been forgetting to repeat the questions. Oh, I'm sorry. You can start now. I can start now. The, uh, so the question was, are there any other areas of business that I've been wanting to dive into? Um, yeah, so I started off in, in marketing, and then I've, I built tech companies, software. Um, and today, my passion really lies in, in food and farming and in our, our food supply um, our, as, a as a country. So I have an interest in um, food production. I've, we're looking at actually land to build a, a farm on, uh, a, not the kind of farm that I grew up on, but the kind of farm that produces just real food and sells market food. Um, and then I've got ideas for um, books, uh, a nonprofit kind of, uh, you know, public or activism sort of stuff around food policy um, that are really starting to itch pretty hard, <laughs> which means I'll usually end up doing it. Yeah. But almost all centered around food. Doug? Um, how's your business partner overseas? Yeah. Um, really well. Really well. They work together in the company. Um, we don't have a lot of direct conversation about it today. It's been a couple of years since that incident. Um, but it, 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 it's been, I can tell that it's been blessed, that that marriage has been blessed. Yeah, it's really strong. Um, and he's just so joyful. So it's great. Why haven't I just traveled over there to visit them? Um, there really hasn't been a need. Uh, so, um, nor has there been the financial opportunity. So, it, it would, it would, we've looked at it a couple, there's been a couple times we've kicked around the idea, hey, let's take a trip to India. Um, the cost is pretty high, <laughs> uh, and we would like to do it. And as of yet, there really hasn't been like a strong need to go from a, from a business standpoint, that would justify the expense. Um, and like I have shared, you know, uniquely through, through the, the magic of the small world of the internet, um, God's been able to use those relationships despite my lack of presence there physically. So and I'm not opposed to it at all. I would love to go there. I probably will someday. I just haven't yet. Yeah. That is true. And the, yeah. Anybody else? Yeah. Are you still having to write the software to keep this uh, other program going? Or? Yeah, I'm a, uh, I, I still write code. Um, the, my, my company in India is, is mostly what does a lot of our production coding. Uh, my, I, I haven't kept up with a lot of the latest um, software, I, I uh, don't know like the .NET framework very well or anything like that. I'm, um, I write code today to build um, uh, early prototypes. I'll build um, MVPs with um, uh, minimum viable products, prove viability of a concept, um, and then when it comes time to actually put it into a production scale, I have other people that do that. But it's being able to write code 
um, and being kind of an inventor, it, it really is a good marriage because I can, I can hack something together and be like, it should sort of work like this, except I know this one section of code over here is really terrible and don't do it like that. But, that, but this is basically what it should go and, and that becomes a feature spec. All right. Thank you.